But anyway, it's good that you all come together for that. And that will be starting at six o'clock. But now is the opportunity to do some meditation. Of all the things which we do here, this is, I always find, the best. The ability to everybody coming together and meditating together. It's great to meditate alone. But one thing I've found in all the years I've been meditating in a monastery or in any type of community, it's a weird, but when one person has a really good meditation, it seems everybody else, their meditation is deeper than usual. It's as if good meditators can sometimes draw other people with them into deep states of peace. I've seen that very often. I know that that's one of the reasons why people like to come to a place like this to meditate on a uh, Saturday afternoon because when we're meditating together, some good monks or nuns, then we could actually draw you into a peaceful state of mind. And sometimes all we need to do is to do that once or twice in our life to get peaceful and then we know, number one, yes we can do this. It's one of the uh, reasons, I think a couple of weeks ago, I gave a talk to the monks, they wanted to do a talk on confidence. Another word for like faith, for sadhar in Buddhism. And it's not just confidence, you know, in the teachings. One of those confidences is confidence in oneself. Confidence in oneself to realize, yes, you can do it. Because a lot of times we feel, no, I just, I'm wasting my time. It's never a waste of time. Because over the, the weeks, the months, the years, you find that what was once, a, you thought, just a hopeless case in meditation, that something inside of you clicks and you learn how to do it. How long it takes, and you have the old simile of the big water jar, higher than a person's uh, head, so you can't see you know, how much water is inside of it. All you can ever do is just keep filling it up with water, keep filling it up with water, there's no leaks in the water jar, you know that one day it will have to be filled. And sometimes that surprises you. Sometimes you feel, oh, you know, I'm not getting anywhere, but you keep on meditating anyway, oh, I can't get anywhere, you keep on meditating. And then one day, water starts coming out. You say, wow, how did that happen? How was it that I was just quietly meditating and now just things are happening? And that's one of the beautiful ways we understand that all we can ever do is to keep making peace in this moment. Keep allowing ourselves to have that confidence. It can be done, you can do it. And sometimes you have to say, just the sort of people who did get some deep meditation, this is you know, from the time of the Buddha, one of those people, Angulimala, who was a serial killer. And he managed to get some nice deep meditation after he gave up serial killing, that is. And the fact that he could do that, wow. You know how he managed to get the trick of getting into deep meditation? That the Buddha told him, stop. And he understood the deep meaning of that term. In your mind, you stop. Stop thinking. Stop remembering the past and future, stop all these old ideas. Just stop, really stop. When you stop your car, you park it out there somewhere in our car park, the car is still hot. But 
you wait and soon the car just becomes calm and peaceful. It becomes cold. That's when you know the car's been parked there for a while. So this is the same with your meditation. If you first sit down, it does take a while for the mind and the brain to calm itself down, become peaceful. Give it that time. And quite honestly, that sometimes I work too hard. I know that very well. And sometimes I get tired. But something which I have tested out, I know works, if you get tired, you just sit there nice and peacefully, and soon, just the mind just wakes up. One of the things which I learned, if you are tired or restless, don't go uh, fighting your mind. Fighting it takes a lot of energy, you just get more tired. So sometimes I just sit there, at the beginning of the meditation, maybe, you know, in my cave where I do most of my meditation in uh, serpentine, sometimes the head goes down. In the old days, I'd always fight that, come and sit up properly. But these days, I don't fight that, I just let it go down. When it goes down, I just, I'm mindful enough to know its position, I'm aware that I'm tired, the energy is not great, but nevertheless, I just am with that. I'm kind to it. That kindness allows you to be with things. Because the kindness means there's no fear, there's no striving, there's no trying to get rid of things, no trying to gain things. You're just kind to them. Um, the uh, simile would always be, just like the sun shines on all beings, no matter who they are and doesn't discriminate, you know, who it shares its warmth and light with. And I try and act like that, that my mindfulness like a sun, making things aware and warm, being kind. That means that whatever state of mind I'm experiencing, even things which in my early years as a meditator I think were hopeless, I just be kind to it, be with it. And it was because I wasn't fighting, You've realized over many years that peace, making peace with things, that was actually how uh, the nice states of meditation started to arise. Not through striving and holding on for something, but for letting it be. For letting peace arise. For me to get out of the way and be patient enough that after a few minutes or even half an hour, the mind starts to waken up uh, the energy gets restored because I'm not wasting energy, I'm being peaceful. And then soon, when you're... This happened so many times in those early days. You were just half asleep meditating. And then you notice your body just straighten up all by itself. And the first few times that happens, you always feel, wow, this is strange. That my... I never did it. I was aware enough to know that this happened automatically. And from experiences like that, you begin to trust your body. You know, the amount of breath which I take in, that's always, just how much oxygen does my body need? If you've been working or walking up a hill or something, of course it needs more oxygen, you will breathe more deeply. I don't decide that, <laughs> it's just the lungs decide. And the same with my heartbeat. You know, it's just, you know, if I'm excited, and body thinks it needs an extra boost of energy, 
the heart will beat a bit stronger, a bit faster. And I know there's so much other things in my body I don't really notice. And my body is balancing itself and it knows what to do. And so that's why when my body straightened up, at first it was scary, like someone else was in control of my body, not me, because I never gave that order, but it straightened anyway. And I trust my body. And I trust my body enough that when it straightens up, well, it's energizing, it knows how to sit, not me. So when that happens, I can have a nice peaceful meditation. It just straightens up by itself, I don't do anything, and then the mindfulness is getting stronger. That's what happens with meditation. Your awareness can be quite dull at first, especially if you're tired, had some sickness, or whatever else it was which you've done to get here. And that's also one of the reasons, that people who've been here a while know this, that when we first have a meditation class here, I never begin, okay, let's start meditating. I would always talk first of all. Because the talking first of all is just to settle down your mind. You don't have to think, you don't have to talk with anybody. And this is actually the first stage of calming your mind. The meditation started 10 minutes ago. Just me talking, calming you down, making your mind a bit more peaceful, allowing more awareness to come up, and lessening the distractions. You do that so that when we start the meditation, you're already, you know, ahead. Ahead of how you normally feel, you're ready to meditate. So this is where you're already filling the jar up a little bit and experience your mindfulness gets more powerful. You know, honestly, sometimes uh, in my room and then I come over here you know, to talk to a few people and come and sit here. There are many times I think, oh, just, I'm not into the meditation today, I'm really too tired. But I also listen to what I say, practice what I say, and my mindfulness already, I can feel it increasing. It's much more powerful than it was, you know, 20 minutes ago when I was in my room at the back there. This is how things work. Your awareness increases, you get more and more strong, and when it gets to a certain point, your mindfulness is powerful enough, the beam on your flashlight has been recharged, and you can actually see where you're going on the path of meditation. And it's not just more awareness, a brighter light, it's not just that. You also notice the more your mindfulness get, gets energized, the more happiness you experience. That was kind of a surprise at first, but when you looked at you know, how the Ajahn Chah and all these other great monks and the Buddha himself taught meditation, you saw that was an important part of the path of meditation. When you wake up, you feel uh, energy and also joy. A good example of that, when you first wake up in the morning, how many of you have a cup of coffee? <laughs> I do too. I got this, especially when I'm on the road somewhere. I have this Indonesian three-in-one. It's really convenient when I need some hot water and sometimes you get that from the tap. So all these things always have to be offered and make it for me. I can just do that myself in a couple of minutes. Have you ever noticed you've had a long night? You're doing 
teachings or whatever, and you wake up in the morning and you're tired still. I'm getting old now. Sorry, I've got to tell the truth. I'm not getting old. What's the answer? I am old. Yes, already old. <laughs> but sometimes that when you wake up in the morning and you have a cup of coffee, not only do you get a big boost of energy, but you're also happier. Joy comes more easily. Apparently, I've seen other people say that too. But instead of having a cup of coffee this time in the afternoon, just getting some energy coming straight from your mind, you're aware, you're energized, and you see so much more beauty. That's why one of my favorite parts of a poem, which I've said many times to you, but I said this recently when I was in Sydney, this is a poem, a part of a poem by William Blake. This was over, th yeah, almost 400 years ago now he was alive, in 1600 and 1700 and something. Yeah, maybe 300 years, 300 and a bit. Here's this particular part of the poem, to see a world in a grain of sand, a heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. And that's a beautiful poem by this English poet and artist and amateur philosopher known such a long time ago. He wasn't a Buddhist, and there was no Buddhism in UK at the time. But some of his works and some of his uh, poems were really quite deep. You see a world in a grain of sand. That ability to be so mindful, you just take this grain of sand you can see so much in it, your awareness has increased. And the heaven in a wild flower. We are fortunate to live in a place like Western Australia. Wildflower seasons, you live in monasteries, so you see this all the time, these tiny flowers. And you look at the, it's so easy just to pass them by. When you really look at them, they can be gorgeous. And hold infinity in the palm of your hand. That's a very... I don't know how you can interpret that, but I'll leave you to interpret that however much you want. In other words, boundless, infinity, nothing uh, describing or telling you what it is. And it's right here in the palm of your hand, an eternity in an hour. If you've ever listened to one of my Dharma talks, which usually lasts an hour, then you understand what it means. <laughs> okay, it's just a joke, I hope. <laughs> but anyhow. So that gives you a little introduction. It's now sort of uh, the quarter of an hour, the introduction time over. I didn't make the announcement at the beginning. I usually have to. Those coming for the introduction to meditation class to begin your journey into meditation, that class is being held in the room to my right here. So as you go out the door, just turn right and you go through there and Dennis is giving the class there, an excellent uh, teacher. Just before I came in, I was just sitting in there and many people were <laughs> making nice little comments. Oh, Ajahn Brahm, you're going to take a refresher course with, Ajahn, with, uh, <laughs> with uh, Dennis. But anyway, he's a very good teacher, so if any of you coming for the first time, that's the room for you. This, we sit here for a little bit longer for you know, a whole 45 minutes. 
and then afterwards we have the opportunity for Q&A. So that's what we're doing. I'm uh, trusting that clock on the back wall there because this one is not really correct. It's all over the place. Anyhow, so anyway, let's get started. So I will lead the meditation for the first 15 or 20 minutes. If you've heard me teach this way for so many years and you're fed up with it, then please get some earplugs. It's quite okay. <laughs> or you can just listen and see what happens. Excellent. I'll rehydrate. So, close your eyes. With your eyes closed, one of the things you notice when you aren't so distracted by your sense of sight, of seeing things, or having to look at things, having to attend to that very, very busy sense base, you find you can be more aware of the feelings in your body, the bodily sensations. And it's a nice exercise, but also has some great side effects. Like, you know, you learn how to relax your body. And I start establishing mindfulness on my body to begin with by the simple technique of asking parts of my body how they feel. And I start with my toes. Insignificant, I once thought, part of my body. And just ask them, toes, how are you feeling right now? As if I saw one of you, and a good old friend, and ask you, how are you? And sincerely, and then you let me know. And that's what I'm now doing to my own ten toes. How are you? And I wait for an answer. What I'm doing is starting to become sensitive to the feelings, sensations in my toes. And if I find that one of the toes is basically not relaxed, and honestly I can feel that with my big toe of my right foot, it's squashed under the calf of my left leg. So I just move it slightly. I'm always willing to make adjustments. That's why my body trusts me and can relax. Have you ever gone to maybe work somewhere and you're like treading on eggshells, as they say, because you're afraid of what your new boss might say? But when you know the boss cares for you, then you can relax. You do your work much, much better. Much more comfortably, much more enjoyable. So first of all, I ask my toes how you feel. And I'm kind to them. 
There's this combination which you all know, the word kindfulness. Kindness and mindfulness combined. And soon I can pick up these sensations in my toes. And when I am kind to them, I can actually feel them relaxing, only a slight amount. But my toes feel more at ease than when I began. That's the payback, the payoff. It's actually working. And then I go to the rest of my foot. The soles of the feet, the heels, the uppers. How are you? Feet. I pick up the sensations there as much as I possibly can. Just even starting with the toes, it get the mind gets in this understanding of the way of being aware of the body. But now it's just confined to the feet. I'm doing this to check that everything's in a good position. There's no aches or pains anywhere. If there is, I will try first of all to do something physical. If there's an itch, I will scratch it. If, if you are sitting on a chair, to see if you need to move your feet apart or move them closer together, move them more closer to the chair or more away. You find the most comfortable position for your feet. Even if you know you already have the most comfortable position, just moving a little bit is telling your feet, telling your whole body you really do care for it. For it. You're not just going to just go through this way of meditating, not really doing it with sincerity. I sincerely want my feet to be happy, at peace, relaxed. And I can start feeling the feet really like resting. It's hard to find similes, but the one I usually use was in those old days walking in the, you know, in winter time to school and back, and some days were so cold. When I got back, my mother had a I could a basin of water I could just soak my feet in to actually to take the coldness away and it felt so beautiful I was caring for my own feet I imagine my feet right now the same just I care for you feet and they're just relaxing to the max and once I can feel that there's no real way I can relax them anymore right now. I move up to my ankles. How are, you, how are you ankles? Because I don't play sport, I don't run f fast, my ankles are usually very healthy, at ease. You know a few times when you're walking in the forest in Australia, sometimes you may step on a, a gum nut and twist your ankle and sprain it, maybe aches. But I haven't done that for years. But nevertheless, I check how my ankles feel. I'm honestly picking up the feelings of my own ankles right now. 
and they feel so at ease. And as I watch them with kindness, they relax even more. I don't want to move on even. This is a pleasant feeling. But then I move up my legs to my the calves, the lower legs, to the muscles in the back of those lower legs, and the skin around it, any sort of ligaments, blood vessels, bones or whatever, anything I can feel in my lower legs, I'm just watching and picking it up. And asking it to relax. So there's no tightness, no pressure anywhere on my lower legs. My job is to loosen pressure, to one tighten the tight uh, tendons. So everything is not pulled apart or squashed. Everything is at ease, natural. And I can feel my lower legs comfortable with the world. So I go to my knees next. And again, I've been very fortunate in my life. I've never had any bad accidents or many hospital appointments. One thing which I do know is just my knees right now feel so at ease. There's no aches or pains there. But nevertheless, I want to relax them a little bit more. So I imagine just loosening anything which is tight. Loosening so that things aren't stretched. When things aren't stretched, the tension disappears. When that tension is maintained, of course we become aches and you're not comfortable, so I relax as much as I can. And I go past the knees to my thighs, big muscles. And I make sure that all those muscles are totally at ease. I'm aware of those muscles right now, especially my left thigh, just what I'm watching now. Making sure that I imagine that maybe a couple of muscles are being stretched out. And I let go of the tension on both ends. So just like the guitar string simile. When you pull a guitar string tight, something falls on it and there's a big sound. Bing! When you loosen the tension, something falls on it, there's no sound at all no disturbance. That's how I imagine the muscles in my thighs, loosening any tension on them as much as I possibly can. And soon those muscles, again like the rest of my legs, start to feel cared for, at ease, nice and peaceful. And I know I've done it sufficiently because with that relaxation will usually come a sense of delight. It's nice having a relaxed body. 
And I go to my buttocks, my butt sitting on the cushion. And this is a point I check that the cushion is not too far under my backside, not too far away from the backside. It's nicely positioned and it's evenly taking the pressure from my body. It's that evenness which I aim for. Because I know that when that pressure of my body against the cushion is distributed evenly, it won't cause me any problem. In fact, that feeling will soon disappear. But I've got to check it first of all. And then I go up from my butt to my waist. If you'd had your eyes open, you'd have noticed that at this point, I would stretch my waist. And that would make my waist you know, feel much more comfortable. And the back straightens up. Sometimes I'm doing now, because I've done this automatically for so many years, twist my body around to get the maximum comfort for my meditative position. For me, my back is straight and the waist is also comfortable. And then I start to scroll my attention, scan the attention sometimes they say, but move it up slowly, up from the bottom of my torso, going past the digestive tract. I don't have to know exactly the name of what I'm watching, whether it's a colon or intestines or whatever. But I just move my attention slowly upwards. And because I've done this for so many years, just I know how it normally feels. And what I'm looking out for, if there's any tightness or tension there, which is not usual. Instead of doing something about it, like figuring it out, what's happening, I just stay with it, move my attention right into it and give it a huge amount of kindness. The kindness relaxes things. And it's where I learn what kindness is. What is the attitude of mind? What I add to the mindfulness which allows that part of the body to open out, to ease off and become peaceful. And that's exactly what I taught when I teach the cancer groups, like the places I went on on Tuesday, Solaris. You move the attention upwards, because up in the digestive tract, which feels kind of at ease until you get to the stomach or what I take to be the stomach. Make sure that the digestive process is going along quite smoothly. If there's any fear, that causes tension and the tension just blocks off. Your own energy of the body blocks it off from healing things blocks it off from digesting whatever's there, needs to be digested. The more relaxed you are, at ease you are, the more that all of these parts of your body start to work as they should do, nice and easily. 
And eventually, as I keep scanning upwards, centimeter by centimeter, I soon come to my stomach and keep moving up. There's nothing much happening there because as monks, we don't eat in the afternoon. It's also like wishing it well. One of the reasons why you may have a friend who's doing a test, like a driving test or a test at university or at school. You wish them well before they go into the exam room. So they, through that goodwill and the relaxation, they can do better than they ever expected. That's what I do to my lungs right now. That's where I'm scanning to right now. May you be at peace and breathe normally, healthily, peacefully to my lungs. When I do it properly, I always find these parts of my body respond. They do. They breathe in more peacefully. And it feels good. I always try to notice the delight, the feel-good factor when I pass one part of the body, having relaxed it to the max. It encourages me that I'm going in the correct direction. You go to your heart region. Making sure that it's not pressured, it's not pushed, it's not struggling, it's at ease. And from there I go up to my, my shoulders, the top of my torso. And I always have to check there because nine times out of ten, my shoulders are tense. I don't know why, but it seems always the case. So now I'm going to adjust those shoulders. One way of doing that is to scrunch them up. I say scrunching up. Most people know exactly what I mean. You push up the, sh the edges of the shoulders, pull them in, like scrunching it. And once it's scrunched up, then I let go. All this doing, the scrunching, it's like pushing a ball uphill and when you let it go it falls lower than the position where you started. Everything loosens up more and it's also, it's a good example of what letting go is. And you know what letting go is because it does always lead to relaxation if it's real letting go. So my shoulders are now far more at ease than they were when I started. They also had a tight piece of clothing there so I loosened that piece of clothing at the same time. And then I go down my arms Slowly, just feeling how my arms are right now. And pick up feelings, mostly in the skin. Until I get to my elbows. Always relaxing as I go. My elbows have always been very healthy. A few times you've injured them, but they've healed up. 
and down my forearms to my wrists. Again, falling off ladders is not the best way to look after your wrists, but they're pretty healed up these days. So I can notice a special sensation. You may think it's weird, but the wrists feel different than the knees or the elbows. I know that sensation is at ease. Nothing I need to worry about there. And then lastly, I go to my hands, especially the fingers. And I ask my fingers, how are you? Just like I did with my toes. And the response I get right now, I'm just being honest with you, my fingers need to be adjusted, they're not comfortable. So now I do that. I don't decide how to put my fingers. I ask them. Are you comfortable, aware of the response, and act accordingly? That's kindfulness practice. Now my hands and fingers feel so much better. So I go back up to my shoulders and my neck. There were times when I had hay fever and had an itchy throat. Sometimes I used to spend quite a lot of time relaxing my throat, learning how to do that. Try this, didn't work, try that, didn't work, try something else. Do you find the right attitude to relax everything in your throat? And also the neck muscles. You found out if your head is too far forward or too far back, too far to either side. Again, it's not balanced. So I always check that. And if necessary, move my head a little bit forward or a little bit to the side. So those muscles are well balanced. And then lastly, I check the muscles on my face. I go up to my head now. I always notice the muscles around the eyes, the nose, the mouth. And I looked at those for so many years. I know when they are tight, when they are loose. I also know the reason why they are tight is usually because of some emotional thoughts. When I can loosen those thoughts, those emotions, the muscles in my face also relax. And that feels really good. Feeling the eyes as closed but not screwed down tight. Around the nose it's at ease. The mouth is closed but not too tight. And I can hardly feel any tension at all in my face. Everything is loose and ease. And then I look at my whole body sitting here. Relax from foot, from toes to head. If I miss something, now I can spot it. 
and I go there with my mindfulness, give it an extra bit of kindness to relax it even further. And hopefully that you know you feel what I felt when I first really relaxed my body deeply. It was clearly pleasurable to be aware of a body at ease. It's like you've been to a massage or been to a hot bath and there's hardly any tightness or tension anywhere in your body. If there was, you know exactly what to do to loosen it. It gave me the sense of like power over my own body, its comfort and health. You feel this sense of delightful relaxation. Later on when the mind relaxes, that also feels delightful, a special, what they call piti sukha, a delightful calmness. So now I look at that peace in my body. How peaceful are you, mind? Now, this is not to say good or bad, it's just to know the reality of how peaceful you are or how agitated. Sometimes I used to ask meditators, give it a number from one to ten. One is really peaceful, ten is quite agitated. How peaceful are you? Give it a number, one to ten. Now, what brings that number down closer to one? Closer to real peace. What is the cause of peace? I always like telling people the answer. I don't want to sound like a know-it-all. I'm the teacher, so it's being in this moment, forgetting all about the past, what you've been doing, your past history of meditation, let all of that vanish. Never allow the past to put you in, in prison in this moment. When it comes to learning from the past, you learn so much more from the present than you will ever, ever learn from the past. The past is to be let go of. And there you find peace. And if you worry about the future, now is where your future is being made. So if you worry, worry about the future, come back to the present anyway. And that gives you a lot of peace. Much business which you waste your time on, past and future. All that business is not necessary anymore. You're just here. And to make that peace more solid. See if you notice when you give things a name, 
when even you try to remember them, when you try and work out the significance in the philosophy of life. Please don't do that. That disturbs the enjoyment of silence. And so you can know the beauty of this moment, the joy of peace, without giving it any name. It feels good. So at this point, I usually become quiet. When I talk about silence, I just want to practice it. If the breath comes up, loving kindness comes up, anything comes up, let it come up. You're starting from a, pl a place of peace and reasonable in the silence. Just let the mind explore. It usually has a wonderful time. I will now be quiet until close to the end of the meditation.
close now to the end of this meditation period. Please do not open your eyes yet. First ask yourself, how peaceful are you? And don't try and describe these things in words, but just know their feelings. How delightful is it to be peaceful? And what does that do for your body? How relaxed is the body? Sometimes the body disappears, just enjoying the the happiness of the mind. Now it's time to come back to your body. Sometimes I'm amazed how relaxed the body can be. In a few moments, I will ask you to open your eyes, but not yet. I will ring the gong three times. When the gong finishes sounding for the third time, that's the signal to open your eyes. And please, if you can, put a small smile on your face. Please don't forget the smile. It's kind of a little gift for me. Okay. Now at this point, we usually have the opportunity for Q&A. We start off with questions from the internet. Yesterday, because of the line dance, we didn't have the opportunity for internet questions. But then I will also give you an opportunity to ask a few questions too. <coughs> the first one from Germany. I feel very sad and cry every day. I try and reach a place of safety all the time in life, in work and relationships, but it's never permanent. How can I achieve peace and security with meditation? Remember the outside world is almost impossible to control can't control the weather, you can't control the sound of people outside. But when you close your eyes and close your ears, you're not listening to things outside. You start by just feeling your own body, which you have a little bit of control over, and you go inside. When you go inside, that's where you find the safety and a place of peace. This is why hopefully each one of you, when you are meditating, can feel that beautiful safety. There's nothing can harm you or hurt you in there. And it's so peaceful. And, okay, I've been meditating a while. 
when I uh, get peaceful in meditation, I don't know who's here. I think you've all disappeared. Well, I'm not trying to get rid of you, but everything becomes quiet. And I'm not listening to sound, I don't see people. And it feels so incredibly safe and peaceful and, and happy in there. The Buddha called it the cave of the heart. I live in a cave in Serpentine. It's wonderful to close the doors. There's no windows, it's in a cave. It's quiet, enough air. And it really is peaceful and very, 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 very safe. No animals can get in there, the heat can't get in there. If Kim Jong-un decides to do a nuclear attack, at least I'll survive, I'll be safe in my cave. I feel incredibly safe and so peaceful. I enjoy that peace and I don't disturb peace. Whenever you find some peace, worship it, value it, enjoy it and know how that peace is generated and how it's preserved. And then you can enjoy it so much, any time, any place. And I even say that at times when I've been very sick, a long time ago now, with scrub typhus, and just lowest energy I probably ever had. I was only about 24. But still you can get into some wonderful meditations and feel so peaceful, safe and happy. Feeling sad and crying every day. There's nothing wrong with crying. So if you need to cry, just let it happen. Worst thing is if you try and suppress it, think, I'm a boy, I'm not supposed to cry, or whatever. That causes the, the problems with crying. Anyway, how to practice during the day to help our chances to get into jhanas? Do we try to be present, remind ourselves anicca every few moments, radiate metta? I've been telling a lot of people in the last year or two, one of the nicest ways to get into these incredibly deep meditations is to learn how to disappear. So you, whatever your name is, say just right in front of me is Cherry Jackson. So Cherry, when you vanish, when you don't exist anymore, you don't, you can't control or do anything because there's no one there to press the buttons, then that's how to get into deep meditation. You have to let go, you have to renounce, there's no one there to do the, the owning or the striving. And that degree of peace caused by letting go of your sense of owning things and controlling things. That's a wonderful preparation to get into these deepest of meditations. Well, a couple of other things is, don't be afraid. Too many people get close to these deep meditations and feel, oh, this is a bit much for me, or what the heck's going on. That's why I talk about them a lot. So you know exactly what they are, or close to what they are. So when they start to happen, you feel, oh, great. Don't be afraid, don't get in, don't be uh, excited either. Leave the excitement to afterwards. You know, the, when you come out of meditation, then you can be excited and enjoy yourself. But while it's still happening, shh, be peaceful. 
other things you do in the day, any good acts of karma, selflessness, compassion, they bring up joy. And that joy, when it comes up, that does increase the chances of getting enough selflessness and joy to be able to get into these deep meditations. And that is one of the reasons why I tell jokes. Give you some energy, some enjoying this moment. Anyway, the next question. Again from Germany. If a practitioner can enter deep meditation effortlessly, you know deep meditation is always effortless. Is this always proof that the meditator's behavior in daily life is pure and virtuous? It has to be pretty pure and pretty virtuous, or there's still need of development. Always think or assume there's need for development. Don't always assume that there's nothing you can improve upon. No extra act of kindness, no extra act of uh, devotion or care or help which you can give to somebody else. But, uh, yeah, you can enter deep meditation effortlessly. It should always be effortless at that point when you're just entering it. To make it clear that I've often told people that the effort is to be able to sit on the cushion or the chair, whatever you meditate. Once you're there, that's where the effort stops. So once you're actually sitting, then just let go and enjoy the ride. It's like when I go overseas. Please excuse me, but next Saturday I'll be flying off to Hong Kong to teach a retreat. When I get on the aircraft, that's where the effort stops. I have to make sure I get to the airport in time. You go through all the immigration, but I must admit, there's a few people in the immigration you know, been to Perth Airport, the International Terminal, all these people just watching you as you go through the gates. I remember one of those people watching me as I was going through the gate, turning to his friend and said, oh, this is my teacher, I go to Nonamara a lot of the time. So I knew I'd be no trouble. <laughs> and they don't usually get into trouble anyway, but... And it's also the customs as well. A few times, because, you know, I'm well known, notorious, you might say. You go to the customs, oh, I jump up, anything in the bag? I said, no, okay, so you go. Is that correct? But I do know that once the person who was checking you, there's a few other people there, they asked in your bag, so, you know, have you got any, like, toothpaste or gels? You got any hair gel, he said. <laughs> and I... I couldn't help but laugh my head up. Hair gel. I said, what do I need hair gel? I'm a monk. He laughed too. He said, okay, go through. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so anyway. What was I talking about? I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, just the, the kindness and the laughter and the easygoing nature. That really helps get some deep meditation. The last fourth question here from Ukraine. I know this person because I, I met them when I was over in, uh, not Singapore, yeah, I think it was in Singapore, uh, teaching a retreat over there. 
and there's a couple of people they invited to come. No, it's actually run by Singaporeans. I think it might have been Thailand retreat. But nevertheless, um, this guy was doing the uh, translation of the talks we give here, translating it into um, Ukrainian. We also insist it into Russian as well, and just making those talks available for people in those war-torn countries. It's a beautiful thing to do. So when he came, we gave him a big sort of uh, uh, vote of thanks. You know, he he was actually living, I think, in um, Czech in the Czech Republic, Czech Republic, in Prague. Had a whole team of people translating the talks into Ukrainian and Russian. Anyway, your talks and those of other monks there are a great source of joy and guidance. And it's a great privilege to be able to give those talks. I have wondered why some Buddhist monks guide to meditate eyes open and some closed. Thank you. The only reason I was told to, with your eyes open, if you're very sleepy, it makes you a little bit more connected to the world so you don't sort of go off into dullness so quickly. But I just kind of disagree with that. I'd rather a person would meditate and just let go more and you've got your eyes closed. You may get sleepy at first, but just continue on and soon that sleepiness vanishes. That's the way I meditate. But I did do a Zen meditation once, I think you all know that story. I'm told to keep your eyes open. I did this when I was still a student. It's a wonderful experience just this once, because when I was meditating with my eyes open, staring at a whitewashed wall, and we're not supposed to do any thinking or any uh, sort of assessing, just be there in this moment. I had enough practice in ordinary meditation to be able to do this easily. And then after about five minutes, the wall disappeared. If my eyes had been closed, I wouldn't have seen that. It was like weird, they weren't giving you any drugs. But you're just watching a whitewashed wall, sitting still, not thinking, and then the wall was not there. That was really cool. I know that some people get scared, but in those days, <laughs> in the late 60s, early, yeah, it was late 60s or early 70s, anything weird was fun. And it's afterwards, it was quite obvious what happened and just that experience. You never need to, needed to repeat it. All it was that your brain only can notice things which change. It's like a computer. If you don't click the button on the mouse or don't do anything, the screen turns off. It's like a screensaver, like a brain saver. And if you're just watching a whitewashed wall, that's not interesting. Just a whole sense of sight turns off. And your eyes are open, but you can't see anything. And you're not scared at all because you're peaceful. So that's one of the advantages for keeping your eyes open when you're meditating. But after a while you can do that with your eyes closed. When I close my eyes, I see the inside of my eyelids for about a second. My brain knows now there's nothing going on. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to keep the sense of sight going. So it turns off.
Anyway, it gives you some peace. So now, are there any questions from my amazing audience? You've kept quiet for such a long time. So if you keep quiet, have I disappeared yet? <laughs> questions from the audience here? Okay, oh, yeah, one, yes. Yes, that is my name, so next question. <laughs> I've only heard of um, sitting meditation and walking meditation. Are there any other forms of meditation? Meditation is just, me there's only one type of meditation. You hold the glass and you put it down, let it go and see everything becomes still. The posture is not so important. You know, sometimes the usual meditation is the sitting meditation. People feel safest when they're just sitting down in a quiet place like this. We have been, I don't know how many years we've had this uh, facility here in Nolamara, but there's never been any sort of accidents or bad things happen in this place. So you feel safe here. You can close your eyes and you can trust everything around you is going to be fine. And so uh, that's why sitting meditation, if you feel safe, is probably the, the best. Well, you can't sit all the time, so sometimes you do walking meditation, but you can get really still in that as well. You do pretty much the same. Focus on one thing and let the rest of the whole world vanish. And then that's the walking meditation. Standing meditation, I know a few people who tried doing the standing meditation. The problem with that is it's hard on your legs. And so that's more difficult. And lying down meditation. And of course if you're sick or you're very old, you're going through some problems, the lying down meditation is fine. But one thing with lying down meditation, I never lie down in the same position which I usually lay down in to go asleep. To go asleep I usually lie on my right side or my left side. To do lying down meditation I usually lie down on my back. And I never go, to these days I can never go to sleep lying on my back. Because I've kind of reserved that. Psychologically I brainwash my mind into say this is not sleep, so don't go to sleep now. Which is a problem whenever you try and go and sleep on an aircraft. Which is usually lying down. <laughs> but other than that, so it's really helpful. So those are different meditations. It doesn't really matter about the posture as long as your body is happy and comfortable. Any other question? Can I read your minds and ask the question which you're thinking? Can we go now? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, okay. I know that people say no more questions. And then in a minute's time after we bowed, you see all the people lined up for their questions. <laughs>